the anger, the dismay, the I don't know quite how I'm going to reach you and and get past this moment, but I know that I will, and it, it will get there. And it isn't just a game, and it isn't good until she says yes. to describe the advertising executives of Madison Avenue. They coined it. Frère Jacques, Frère Jacques, dormez-vous, dormez-vous. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. We cover Mad Men episode by episode. And we just got deep with a bunch of episodes. With the great Jennifer Getzinger. How was how cool was that? It was Roberta? very cool. I hope you all listened to that episode. If you didn't, go. Stop. Uh, pause. Just stop here. Stop. Go back. Do that. Uh, and then come back. Chop and off your foot and then listen to the episode. <laughs> what? Is there foot chopping um, involved? <laughs> I, uh, okay. So uh, every, every little bit of that conversation with Jennifer was fascinating. I, I got to say, alongside all of that, I didn't <laughs> – she went into how the explanation of part one and part two of this episode of Little Kiss and how – I thought it was like striking and had to have been very intentional the way certain things were completely contained in part two. Right. Like the Lane Wallet thing and some of the Jones stuff. Actually, most of the Jones stuff as regards the office was all here. Uh, and she said it was kind of mixed around and kind of moved, you know, late in the game and everything was up in the air. And that it really didn't feel that way. But, but I, I'm sure she's right, of course, but it, it was, it was a, it was a weird experience having that part of the conversation with her. Oh, for me, it was, it, it's, it was totally enlightening. It totally made sense to me. Um, so just to, you know, refresh what she said, basically it, it she was treating it and the way it was scripted, felt like one two-hour episode. And, you know, let's just pause and, and refresh on why why this happens. They did, for the first time ever, a two-hour season premiere. But you have to, when you do a two-hour season premiere of a one-hour television show, you have to have it be two separate episodes. For reruns. For reruns. And, and, yeah. and now for, you know, for streaming, however it works, it always, that's always been the case. Unless you are a TV movie, you're going to be an hour. Well, well, streaming probably lessens that requirement because it's, you know, streaming is streaming. Uh, but for resale and what was, you know, at the time, the big money maker syndication, that's why you would. Right. And I mean, I've seen it done where it's two different teams, two different writers, two different directors. Mm-hmm. I think that was, I can't think of an example of that. But because I, everyone's paid by the episode too. Yeah. So, and, right, yeah. and also, you know, something we haven't gotten into much is that TV has really shifted from this writer's room thing where the whole show has one voice is a newer phenomenon is, you know, probably post like Sopranos era Mm -hmm. phenomenon. You know, you go back to my favorite show, 30 something. Those were individual scripts by an individual writer or team of writers. And you hand it, you pitch it like that. But this is all one under one umbrella, if you will, under one roof and at one table. So it makes more sense that this two-parter is is one director, one writer, Matthew yeah. Weiner. Yeah. Um, but no, it really informed me 
I had already watched it before that conversation, part two, and I'd been planning on rewatching it, but on the, the second watch, uh, it, it made just so much sense to me that what, so what ended up happening is, again, sorry, I'm jumping around, but that's how I am sometimes, um, is toward the end, I believe it was Matt, sort of reshuffled the scenes so that each episode felt more cohesive and standalone. Mm-hmm. That was uh, one of the things that really struck me watching A Little Kiss Part 2, which we're about to talk about, <laughs> is it felt very much like its own episode, like a standalone. And and it was very th- uh, plot, uh, yeah. not plot, he- I mean, it's plot heavy, but it's also theme heavy, like seeding. Like it did that thing. I felt that part- Kinda. Part one was sort of like brought you up to speed. Here's where we yeah, are. It, it, ha- it had that review feel. We're going to do a review of all the characters, where they stand, where things have changed, what you have to fill in with your own imagination, and what's actually happening. And there was a lot of that in part one. And then part two felt very uh, sequential. You know, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Right. To me, I saw the, the all the seeds of what could be happening in a season. I, I'm not, I don't remember much. We've said this before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now some themes, some themes stood out. For yeah. Sure. You feel that you can feel that. And especially now as we've been doing this a while and, and we know that a season, either the season opener, either number one or number two is that sort of new pilot again. Yeah. And I understand that the two went together, but it, I felt it more those seeds, those like, watch for this, watch for this, watch for this, listen to this line, more in part two. So it felt a little more like a pilot, like, go. I, I guess I guess to wrap up how I feel, uh, part two felt more plotting, P-L-O-D-D. I was going to say, I that have a D, no D's in it? Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it just felt like you were sort of trudging through stuff that had to get laid out, whereas part one was more stylistic and had a little more pizzazz to it this one did not have that they felt very different and let's hear from you corners yeah, let's hear it what do you think all right a little kiss part two written by matthew weiner directed by jennifer getzinger <laughs> our buddy original air date was march 25th 2012 and takes place over june 6th and 7th 1966 so to summarize this episode in particular Lane comes into contact with the person who left a wallet in the cab that he was riding in. SCDP's phony help wanted ad backfires. Watch what happens. Uh, backfires on the firm and on Joan. Pete's dissatisfaction at the firm begins to boil over. Don and Megan have some serious sexual role play happening. How does, how does Conan do it? I can't roll my tongue away. <laughs> The way Conan does. Anyway, imagine Conan doing it. And that's what I'd be doing here. Serious sexual role play. Some naughty bits from uh, Don and Megan. Yeah, those are things that happened. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, Roberta. Let's start with the Lane thing. Because that's actually how the episode starts. One of the themes throughout this episode is money and transaction. And it is the most uh, prominent in Lane's story. I mean, it starts with finding what? A wallet. He literally goes through the cash. It's a hundred bucks. And that's going to just come up again and again through this episode. Money, money, and uh, transactions and money. And throughout the season, but definitely today. I think the marker here with Lane, though, uh, at the same time, is that he's equating money 
and that transactional part of it with his honor. I can't take the the reward. No, it's all there, of course. Like I would like like Lane's not going to go, you know, taking cash out of this guy's wallet, no matter who it is. And I think it was a thing of honor for Lane. Maybe. Yes, I think that piece of it. But there is no honor in what he did. I mean, what he did was he decided he 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 became enchanted with this photo, took the wallet for that reason, wanted to meet her, you know, knowing that she's somebody's girlfriend. He's married. You know, so what we're looking at is a deeply. I'm dis- saying the money part is honor. <laughs> Everything well, else is of, the other, up in the air yeah. of that. Yes. You know, but there's also he's having money problems. There's all these different discussions with mm-hmm. Rebecca about, no, we can't pay for Nigel's tuition yet. Or, but he doesn't say that. Right. There's an we're watching this going. What's going on? And then at the end of the episode, she says something about you don't want me writing checks. So he so she's asking for cash. But he's also now got this fixation on on this woman who he doesn't know. I'm his girl. Oh, she was. I mean, that was a great performance. Whoever that actress is had that queen's kind of accent down. It was just just perfect. We're now watching the prices back together, and we know it's not what Lane wanted. We know how he got there, and they're acting completely content. But you know that 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 can't be right, and now you see this. And we saw how deeply enchanted he was last season with the bunny he was dating, whose name escapes me. And now we see a glimmer of how Lane can just get obsessed with, uh, with a fantasy, A photo. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I also, the part that really, a part that she says to him, Dolores, where the hell are you from? You sound like Cary Grant. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're welcome. And Lane says, I told you, Midtown. And then when she says she'll, she'll, you know, she'll come over, he says, I'll be here the rest of my life, which I found to be rather ominous and depressing. Um, But, but also... So he says, I told you Midtown. Now we've talked, where are you from Midtown? We've talked about that Lane's uh, sense of being from here means so yeah. much to him. And then when he finally meets uh, Mr. Polito and they have that little tussle about the money, about take the money, don't take the money. Yeah. And, 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 and it's honor. And it's, it's also like, no, no, this was never transactional. I just wanted, right. I just wanted your woman. Uh, Mr. Polito says, obviously, from the accent, you're not from around here. And Lane, feeling defeated, now says, no, I'm not. Right. So that was a that was a that was a change from the beginning. I just thought that was notable and interesting. And no, it is notable. I just uh, it was one of those things that felt like it was a long way to go for a rather small payoff. We had four scenes with Lane and the girl and the phone and the wallet and the front of the front of the office for what what I thought was a rather small thing. Yeah. Again, you're right. I think in that that's a good example of where it probably wouldn't have been as heavy in the episode had it been spread out across two episodes. Correct. If it had been written to be one episode, it might have been a little more sparse. Like, that's right. right. We could have, yeah, we could have been more efficient. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're not wrong about that. And again, I'm going to just say yes, it wasn't much of a payoff, but it's. I'm looking at it more as the beginning of a story instead yeah. of the end. No, of, we're, of yeah, we're, we're definitely laying out some of some of Lane's season here. Yeah, 
so one of the things that does kind of transcend both episodes is this idea or the the, the action around this help wanted ad, right? It starts out with the YNR folks and they treat people, the the, the protesters on the street, uh, disgracefully, and it's a whole thing. And the ad industry looks bad, and because everybody's fucking with Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, namely CD, CGC, you know, last season and all the rest. Uh, it seems very plausible that they would then fuck with YNR and place this goofy help wanted ad equal opportunity employer in the times. I also felt like it was a little bit inspired. Like Don now did that full page letter. So now what's Don going to say? No. Right. Well, (laughs) yeah. Now we're looking at the newspaper as a bit of a, a a, a way to manipulate. Sure. Sure. Which it, it always has been. Right. But I, I like that part of it. I thought the outset was pretty good. And then what I love is that when Joan's mom points out the ad to her in the apartment, Joan immediately says, it's not in the advertising section. It's not in the help wanted yeah, section. Yeah, she's all over it. She immediately knows that it's bullshit. But she's obviously concerned enough that it, it prompts her to, to go into the office. Well, because her mother just keeps banging Plus to it. get away from her mom, yeah. Well, no, but her mother's also really <laughs> drilling into her. They they want to, they're not keeping you. They're kidding, you know, and, and she... Listen, she's exhausted. She she's, knows better, but she's covering her bases. Yeah. Nobody, I think it really gets to her. She doesn't she doesn't go in there lightly. She bursts into tears with relief when she finds out that that it's not true. So yeah, she's no, so, her mother I got to her. I think she did, but it was more through um repetition and pounding it in than it was through her mom having a good point. Yeah. Agreed. You know, yeah. that, 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 that's what I'm saying. But that's what happens when you're exhausted, when you're, sure. you're, you're, she said, you know, I'm no, crying all, all the time. Sense. So there's her hormones are wacky. She didn't trust herself. She went, her mother won right. with her, with now Joan not trusting herself, knowing that she should know better. If her mom wasn't there and Joan ran across that ad, she'd go, what the fuck? These guys. You know, yeah. and kind of skip over it. Well, which is what she ought to have done. But regardless, it, it gets Joan into the office, which is is plausible and, and a good good couple scenes. <laughs> oh, Apollo, you're so good with him. Oh, I wasn't expecting you back so soon. First in line at the post office, it wasn't that bad. Hello, Mr. Joan. The mother is just so unbelievably inappropriate in every possible way. Right. It's a remarkable thing to see who who Joan came from and and that Joan has, you know, that that's what Joan has been contending with as the voice in her head, because usually the voice in our heads is our mom, Correct. right? Correct. So, Correct. you know, that that's who she came from, that she has the, the, the amount of dignity that she does have. You know, everything great about Joan is more impressive knowing how berating her mother is. Oh, you think you're so, you think everybody's looking at you, blah, blah, blah. Hello? Yeah, uh-huh. Yes, everybody is. I think in most uh, t- in, in t- television universe, uh, 99 times out of 100, Joan's mom would be like Flo from Alice or some <laughs> kind of spitfire, you know? Like, who raised that woman? Well, this woman did. Right, you practically know, that a kind drag queen, yes. Right? <laughs> but no, it's much more subtle. It's much more true to life. But it's also true to the times. You know, everything Joan's mom says, going back to episode one, is what is what a woman of her age would absolutely, you know, live by. Well, an unkind woman of her age. Where thou goest, you know, all that bullshit. Sure. 
Some of that is from the times. Some of that is just she's terrible. Well, yeah, but but I'm, but I'm saying she's a woman of her times, just like every single person in this show is as a person of their time. And Joan, you know what we see her grappling with, and, and she said it in words in the <laughs> or or Peggy said it in words in the last you know in the season finale last season. You know, and now she's saying it again. I miss work. Joan is a working yeah. woman. Joan is a career girl through and through in denial. Who's who's breaking her denial? She now has a baby, and she's dependent on her annoying mother to care for the baby and all she wants to do is go back to work and she will deal with missing that baby because she misses work more. What I think is really interesting is when, not so much since the baby, since the the baby is Roger Sterling's, but um, since the time of her engagement and marriage, she herself as an individual has been through this roller coaster of Better be looking for a house. I'm going to get you pregnant. You're not going to be working. Quit that job. Well, you're going to have to get go back and get that job. Find another job. You know, back and forth and back and forth where whatever she wanted was the last thing on the agenda of that household to where now she can, you know, whether it's somewhere along the way. And obviously it was before before her baby came along. But she kind of landed on the right spot, which is no, I'm, as you said, I'm a career girl. I, I, my, half my heart is in that office because it is, it has nothing to do with not loving my, my son, but I am, my heart is there. So even when I'm here and I'm off and I'm coming back, like, and it hurts to, it hurts to feel like I'm not missed even when I am. Um, and that's a real thing. And I, I but I like this part of Joan that's landed in the right place despite. What it took to get All there. The waves that have come over her and been crashing around her. Yeah. And if you remember the sequence of events, that was really the the sort of the pinnacle of all this in season three. She's leaving. Greg's gonna support her. She's they have a goodbye party just as the foot yeah. the foot incident. She then ends up having to go back to work and she's working in a department store. It's all part of that roller coaster. Yeah. Miserable and feeling useless. And then they do the breakaway. They do the, you know, they start their own yeah. company. And in the stealth of night, she has never felt more needed and never been more invested. She didn't just run the office. She built that office. And it was it was that return to work that really gave her uh, the level of a sense of purpose through her career that she never she never let herself realize was always there. There's a good deal of serendipity as to why she's where she, you know still with this crew. Um, I think another version would be that she latched onto another agency somewhere and is running that ship. You know because Sterling Cooper went away for her as an option. Um, but no, the, the way that it happened was wonderful. It kept her in the show, which fans love, and that's 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 what we like. So, yeah. Her entrance into the office. (laughs) I mean, we've never seen Joan look worse. She just looked exhausted. She just looked like it was the only time we've ever seen Joan looking desperately pulled together. Yes. And, and, And you can see through to just life with an infant. For sure. You know. Yeah. She's not. She's not. Wor- she's not workaday ready at that point. No, yeah. and then and then you're also looking at the times. I mean, you know, trying to just get through life with those giant uh, Rosemary's babies, <laughs> strollers. Yeah, uh, uh, carriages, baby carriages, carriages. Carriage, yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. They didn't call them strollers yet because they did not stroll. <laughs> 
But that whole thing, just her trying to get in through the door. They were clearly ergonomically designed for, you know, strolling around an English garden, maybe, but not <laughs> not not Midtown Manhattan. I mean, we there were no ramps back then, right? Anytime no. you get out the stairs or go uh, get to the end of a sidewalk, there's not a ramp. Everything. And just like big and boxy and cumbersome and get through that door, right? That was the, the Just incredible. Thing. And then she's like, can you help me? But, you know, she has the encounter with Meredith where she's now, again, now, now she's looking for it, right? Now she's in the office internally to plead for her job, but she's not, she's not going to plead for her job. But, I mean, she's there with the expectation now, listening. Everything she hears is through the funnel of, I'm being replaced. I've been replaced yeah. and I'm unneeded and nobody told me. But I love the little the little she she throws when she says, you know, the last girl that yeah. sat where you are. Ended up with everything. <laughs> yeah. There was a little feeling. I, I like the connection of like the first time Betty, we saw Betty Draper come into the office. And then afterwards, she's talking to uh, to Francine and she's like, I want to be treated like a princess when I go in there. Like, <laughs> you know, this sort of under the surface expectation that again, other shows would not talk about, uh, you know, like I want to be treated like a queen when I go in there and they, everything was just whatever, you know, I think Joan had a little bit of that. She was a little bit more on edge because of her personal situation and what you just said. Oh, she but definitely at the same time, did. Yes. It's like, it's like, I have to introduce myself to the girl at the desk. I'm Mrs. <laughs> like, Harris. Like, and even that took a beat or two before she's like, Oh yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm technically your boss. You don't know me. Right. Uh, no, it was all, everything was demoralizing. Every, every beat was demoralizing <laughs> until, right. you know. Uh, until she sits down with Lane, which was very sweet. I mean, it got better when she saw Don and, you know, and, and then Roger. And that was, that was quite a, quite a thing. Talk about role play. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, <laughs> where's my baby? <laughs> no, it was very great. I, I, I was, it was a wonderful uh, sequence with that and you know who's holding the baby, the baby and Peggy's was, left with the baby oh my and- god it was but uh, you know so as each person comes so first you've got Caroline I think it starts with Caroline and then uh, you know like the girls you've got Caroline and then Clara and I, I don't have the exact order but when Peggy finally comes out before it gets awkward with the baby Peggy's greeting of Joan was so awesome. warm it was so, and it made it worked. It 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 was so believable. Well, all the history is there. All the yeah. history is there. They had that one. Even if they never had another talk since, it was yeah. there. That camaraderie and that respect is established. Well, from the standpoint of their relationship, the pacing is perfect because we got to see that that moment in Joan's office, which we talked about and loved. And then nothing. We get we get a gap in time, and Joan goes away and gives birth, and you know, big huge life change. And then we come out and just see this moment afterward, and you know, much further down the road for both of them. And there's still the the, the connection is still there. So we we again we're filling in a lot of gaps, but it feels very natural and always earned. Yeah. Scarlet, Scarlet, may I see you? I got it. Mr. Price, Mrs. Harris is here to see you. Oh, uh, uh, send her in. The past the baby was just great, right? Because mm-hmm. once again, if you're a woman, you get handed a baby. And then you had that great moment where 
Peggy's holding a baby. Pete sees her holding a baby. Oh yeah. You know, it's it was heavily laden with with the backdrop there. I mean, they both were, you know, especially Pete. And then uh but I love that she's like take the baby, you know, and he he, yeah. he says And I love that misogyny always wins. Well, he, but she but she's like no, Pete just take, you know, yes, Pete said the thing, but actually Pete is the one who took the baby. He then and you you see him actually That's, walk out with the baby, but then it's yeah, four seconds later. I think yeah. it's uh, Meredith that ends up <laughs> giving the baby back to Joan. So we That's never right. saw the next round where it goes back to to women. Yeah, presumably that baby was was passed around. But no, but Joan makes her way to Lane's office where she needs to sort of get her footing and make sure what's happening. And that was I just thought that was a wonderful scene with the it's two terrific. of them. I, th- I loved Lane in that scene especially. He he didn't have one bit of lecherousness. You're watching because the physicality is is they're very close and he's there there. You know, he's just, he genuinely, his boundaries were, were just right. Then at the end of it all, he tells about the party and he, he does this little, yeah. he does this little dance. Everyone has their own version of the dance. And yeah. she says the line about, I can't even imagine how handsome that man must be blushing. Oh, Joan's line. Yeah, yeah. And you've never heard her talk like that, ever. Uh, no. Not about Don Draper. But no. But that is another dagger into Lane's psyche that day. That's part of what yeah. his dejection yeah. later. Yeah. That's def- that definitely informs his his ugh, I can't even have this moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Nobody's mm-hmm. talking about me like that, right? Yeah. That's true. So I you know the net net of course is that Joan gets reassured, which Lane does appropriately. And uh, and I think she walks out of there feeling much better than she felt walking in. Absolutely. You know, which was the point. It, it wasn't even, you know, you, we didn't fire you. It's, oh, my God, Joan. <laughs> Can't live without I'm you. I'm ready to yeah. just, you know, uh, pack it in. Um, so while we're in the office, a big thing here, and it started with in the previous episode uh, with Roger and all that. But uh, but the, the, the larger picture for Pete is that. He's all junior and no partner mm. with all this stuff, right? He's got the shit office. He's got Roger breathing down his neck. He's got Roger, you know, looking over his assistant's shoulder for his schedule. And it's all a lot of bullshit. And I think the fact that he's got Mohawk on the doorstep of coming back, he leverages to say, look, guys, I can pull the trigger or I cannot pull the trigger. And he does the little bit in his office of bringing everyone in there and they're uncomfortable and it's a big show. But it's, I thought it was a, the right kind of approach for Pete to take at the right time. And it worked, although it's not what he wanted. Uh, and I don't know, I, what did he want? He really wanted Roger's office? He wants Roger to step aside for him? I actually now think that this storyline was also a little bit misserved, if you will, by the dividing of the two episodes because – Pete is not just unhappy at work for good reasons. Mm -hmm. Pete is stewing in his misery as Pete is wont to do. He is not happy at home. He's not saying he's not. He's not admitting he's not happy at home. But that's all, you know, we talked about that in part one, right? Yeah, we see it. So this being separated out made it look like it was just a work thing. But if you look at his face scene by scene by scene, it is top entitlement shithead Pete. And again, I, I, what he's asking for isn't wrong, but 
Don, I mean, when when that scene ends, when when they've all unsquished themselves from the couch, the last thing that happens is Don offers him his office. And he was like, I don't even know if I'm bringing them in. Right. And Don's like, well, he offers his office for the meeting. Yeah, he doesn't no, 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 offer of his office to oh, Pete. Of course. Right. But that's a that's that's not a bad offer. I mean, of course, Don's not going to offer him his office. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But my um, point is his shitty. No. And that's the first threat of I'm, maybe I'm not even going to bring them in. Don, yeah. Don's just like, yeah, buddy. All right. I'm not I'm not having this conversation anymore. It's, it's true. But I think Don sees the merit in Pete's argument. You know, I, I agree that Pete's in addition to being unhappy at work, he's unhappy at home. But this issue at work all by itself is I, I see the way he's handling it. Look, not not that you should hold a gun to your, you know, the new the new client's head in front of your partners to say, you know, give me what I want or we're not getting this partner, which is kind of tacitly what he's saying. But I think you do have to show you're serious sometimes, you know, with 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 some of the methods. And I think he has a legitimate gripe that is not getting consideration. And he finally has to say, look, guys, I can't I can't do my job the way that I'm supposed to with what I've been given. I ought to have more, especially when a guy like Harry Crane has a big, beautiful office that that would be more suitable. Which things got to change. So, so I think his his gripe is 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 appropriate, regardless of whatever's going on with his with his life. I think we, as the audience, can see that more than the characters. I'm not criticizing what's going on with his life. I'm criticizing his demeanor. Every beat of this. Of every one of these scenes, he's just being a little shit. And I kind of doubt that he ever asked calmly and appropriately, hey, guys, you know what's going on? I'm bringing in clients and my office is bad. And is there something we can do about that? <laughs> I'm thinking Pete Campbell didn't present it that way and and then get ignored three times and then hit this boiling point. I think Pete boiled and boiled and boiled and then did this. And that's what I'm saying right. is he's a little shit. I think you're right. And when you And when you layer on top of that, He's dealing with Roger aggressively moving in on the folks that he's trying to bring in and make his life harder. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit down and calmly, you know, resolve this because I'm being attacked is how he feels. So, you know, a little of both. I can see both. But I, one of the rare times where I see Pete as uh, being legitimately disgruntled, whereas most of the time he's not legitimately disgruntled. Gentlemen, I'm sure we can find an equitable solution to this. There's no need for a row. You're right. I say we put it to a vote. I say we step outside. <clears throat> I didn't think so. Circling back to the ad here, mm. um, and this is, you know, this is where I think it's a little bit stupid. <laughs> um, this whole sort of Unintended consequences piece feels very three's company, you know, to me. Just, just, just my take. A little pat. It's a little sort of, you know, get reverse engineering from this end point. Definitely. Yeah. Because the end point you know. is powerful, right? Correct. I know. Correct. One of the great endings with the music. We'll hit it in a second, but yes, you're right. It, but to, but to me, and we talked about this a little bit with Jennifer, it, it it's that outside world intruding. Starting from the opening scene, the protest, uh, the party with all these young people and Don's new fab luxury apartment. 
this this real world uh, intruding on 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 the older set uh, continues. And so the ad talk about reverse engineering gets us to this place where they now have all these African-American job applicants that they need to deal with <laughs> as a result of their own of their own bullshit. I mean, so stupid. You're no, you're totally right. So stupid that nobody thought that there would be a response. And, Correct. you know, as nobody would treat it as an actual uh, just ridiculous, just so Correct. stupid. Correct. And in the in the misogyny always wins department, uh, Lane coming out and saying, it's a secretary position. Gentlemen, <laughs> you may leave. Yes. <laughs> you're welcome to leave. Or the, the three different uh, versions he had. You're to free say. to go. No, no, free. Of course. <laughs> I didn't mean yeah. that. The whole thing was stupid. These days, we start to look at all of this misogyny and racism under the white supremacy umbrella. So there you go. It's all one thing. But I love how there is a there is a a contemporary equality issue at play here, right? We can't, you know, we tell them to get out. We can't do that. And the protests. There might be know. a reporter out there. But misogyny is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> and it's not, oh, let's totally. face it, it's not, it's not deep misogyny in that moment uh, in the way that Lane meant it, right? But the, 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 the institutional um, expectation that no man would either want nor would be hired for a secretary position is, is a misogynistic premise. Well, the racism is pretty pretty well accepted too. It's just not they're just not going to put it out. Well, they to have the, to deal with the racism part of it, but they're not dealing with the misogyny part. But of the it. behind the scenes conversation that the three or four oh, or five of them have God. once they dismiss Megan, you know, is is and the gift from Y and R that they have to walk through the lobby. Yeah, have they seen <laughs> that? Yeah. Well, now we can't throw them out. Horrendous. Like, it just got worse. I mean, it, just, it was so and yet extremely accurate. You know, for the day, I would I would presume. I don't think that was overplayed very much at all. I I, I, no, I, I have issue with the plot points, but I don't have issue with how they handled it. But anyway, yeah, it, it's more of this. Look, guys, events are unfolding, and they are not in your control. Is what's happening, right? That that's the the, the big message of the the whole two episodes, the whole two hours. To me, comes down to a lot of that. That final moment, again, where now you've got women handing in their resumes and the swelling of, of you don't have to say you love me. <laughs> and it really just feels like, you know, ready or not, guys, here it comes. You know, we're moving on yeah. with or without you. A, so let's I do felt this. it was a stylistic redemption for an episode that wasn't the most stylistic, you know, in Mad Men's history. But be that as it may. Let's take a break. Yeah. Let's do that. And we'll come back and talk about. Um, yeah, I'm going to have four or five white carpets, you know, ready <laughs> for part two. As we open season five, the question that we have about Megan still is who is Megan, right? She's still this, you know, Mary Poppins type caregiver. She's still this, um, you know, new bride, perhaps, as we we begin to see more and more about Don and Megan's life. It's very clear from part one, you know that she isn't just what we saw, <laughs> you know, yeah. at season four. In part one, we're seeing the shades of, uh, we're more teased to that question. We're more like, wait, bit, who right? is she? Okay. That's right. And she's doing the, the, you know, we're seeing that she 
may or may not have a beat on who Don is by giving him that surprise party, right? Mm-hmm. We see that. And then we see kind of the, the, the aftermath of that. First of all, I love, I love, <laughs> I was to say I love, but I was fascinated with the extent to which everybody in that office except for Megan hated that party. And I had to talk shit about it. Maybe they didn't hate it, but they talked shit about it. They talked shit about it, which actually goes back to what she says about them. That's right. You're, I mean, that's a good call because they all had a great, they all had the best time ever at that party. Yeah, and she feels like a leper walking through there because they're all, she either senses it. I think she certainly senses it. But whether it's behind her back or sort of behind her back, like like Harry, everyone's got something sort of negative or nasty or inappropriate to say about it. Well, okay. Let's... Back up a second to Megan is in a mood. Megan is, we see Don and Megan, we, you know, we see Don wake up, shave with his birthday gift, give himself a look in the mirror. It is silent. There is no Don and Megan conversation. Don and Megan come into the office and Megan is visibly pissed. Like she's not, if she's trying to hide it, she's not a good actress. So there's that. So part of what's buzzing around her, she's already, it's all under her skin already. That's right. Yeah. And we, you know, and we don't even know. There's also a lot of what happened with this party in def- in defense of people. And I, I don't have much defense, but is they all thought, maybe except for Peggy, they all thought that they were not invited until the invited last minute. late, right? <laughs> which even including Joan's mom picks yes, up on that. <laughs> hilarious, which is which is hilarious because it's true. It, you totally you get a well, last minute. It's true minute they were invited late, but they, they're 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 presuming there was a negative. I, and I'm saying you, everybody would it. presume that that's an accurate take. Correct. That's how people yeah, yeah. live Whether in the or world. Not, that's which, the case. Of course, yeah. I was I was a last minute thing. They they she didn't have enough people, or she got felt guilty. Whatever it was, right? Correct. No, that party. Listen, she did something that people don't do in that performance. And again, we we do a little kind of. Zoom in on Zuby Zoo in our um, eminently chewable last week or the week before, whenever that was. But people were shocked and reacted and had reactions to it. So, yes, people in the office just talk smack, and it's just how people yeah. are. And well, it's affecting her because you know when she sits down with Peggy around a couple things. First of all, Peggy's still feeling. The wounds from her own foot and mouth episode, you know, saying something inappropriate at the party. She wasn't feeling it until Megan, Megan confronted her. Megan sits down and confronts her and says, oh, you, you know, you, you seems like you say whatever you want. Peggy's like, wait, what? Oh, and Megan is like, I mean, Megan really confronts her. Yeah, but Peggy's not thinking of, but it, t- it takes Peggy, I think, even till she talks to Don to think of it from Megan's point of view. Peggy just sees her own embarrassment and goes in and kind of apologizes and all the rest. But the whole th- reason it comes up is because Megan's already feeling t- tense about the whole the whole business. She walked in. She's in a bad mood. She's furious at Don. She's hurt by Don. And then the Harry thing had already happened by the time she talks to him. <laughs> right. So the Harry thing. Let's spend a second on that. Peggy. Yeah. Let's. Well, look. It's you know Stan stands there in the in the kitchen. Harry's in the entryway. I love that Stan does the Hey Megan, which Harry thinks is a fake out. Stan taking the next step 
it, you know, like it's such a TV moment, but it's also mm-hmm. like, it's so in keeping with Stan. Yeah. It's no, no, that played great. It was great. That played great. And, and Megan then has the embarrassing situation of having to deal with it. And Harry, who's just now just an out and out putz, right? That's the character now is that he's a putz. But he's a, he's a really aggressively hostile in terms of yes. sexual hostility. Capital you know. letters putz. Yeah. yeah. Well, I always think putz is more of a, putz technically means penis, folks, if you don't know that. A lot of people don't. But I always see putz as more of a like a dopey, kind of like what Harry was when we first met him. I always thought uh, yeah, Harry was no. more putz then and now he's just a, right. a, a dick. Same appendage. That's true. Different uh, yeah, tone. Yeah, yeah. Less, um, more aggressive, less passive. Yes. However, either way, he's, you know, completely disrespectful to Megan and she has to deal with it. And Stan has a good laugh at it, which it is funny. It's hard not to, not to laugh oh, it's if, great. if you're Stan. But yeah, and that's before she even yeah has to sit down with Peggy. So, you know, she's loaded for bear at that point. And the point is that I don't think Peggy was – because Peggy's thinking about herself. She wasn't sympathetic to Megan in that moment. She was like, oh, if you have to go, yeah, go. And it's only then that I think she goes into Don and begins to see it as a more of a 360 issue. What she said – how Megan responded, why why Megan's in that bad mood. Not that it has to do with Peggy to begin with, but but it's for Megan, it's about Megan. For Peggy, it's about Peggy. She looks very good. She does. She looked good at nine months. I don't know about that. I'm surprised you didn't tell her. Tell her what? That she looked terrible? Seem to say whatever's on your mind. Is something wrong? No. Oh, I got the VIX coupons done. I know you thought you were the only one working this weekend. Megan, who is, as we see, boiling up so much that I think she genuinely didn't feel well. Like, I mm-hmm. think that, you know, was real in the for moment. Um, there's a phrase for, for like a condition, like an unofficial self-diagnosed type of condition where you have a very deep physical expression of emotional uh, intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It happens to me. I had a tiny little thing happen with somebody in my life. I mean, it was tiny and it was resolved. But in between the time it was tiny and was resolved, I had a migraine cooking. I <laughs> like 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 so I, I that's where I'm like, no, Megan doesn't feel well. But it happens to me when I hear certain Chicago music. But go yes. ahead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you leave me now. Is that Chicago? Yeah. That's the one. You're welcome. You that's go. the way I know. That's when Chicago got yeah. worse. The Peter Cetera era. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, but I think that Megan put all her angst and wrath onto Peggy. Yeah. And, and Peggy didn't know what to do with all that. I mean, I think Megan overshot there because she was just sort of, again, boiling yeah, it was over. Boil- it was uncontrollable. It was, it was boiling over. The insight we get into Megan's process, thought process is, is just how cynical everybody is, just how miserable, cynical, today we might say ironic people are, which can be negative and ugly. And, you know, let's face it, it's, you know, you're in the ad business in New York City on Madison Avenue, it's going to be, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little rough and tumble, you know, with the humor and the, and the, and the cutting. But Megan wasn't, wasn't prepared for that, or she wasn't up to it that day, at least. I think overall, she wasn't prepared for it. And it's something that Don says later is you were a secretary, you didn't, you didn't know what, you don't see mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Which right. I also, I just thought that was a line that was, 
almost a, a, a buried hello. Like she doesn't, she didn't know what she was in for in any capacity as a secretary. She went from that secretary who didn't see anything and didn't know anything about people to married to one of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a, not that I have an issue, but I, I kind of see that as a little bit of a convenient line if it's meant to serve that purpose, which is number one, she's a secretary who initiated, I would call it an affair, but initiated sleeping with her boss. Uh, so she's not some babe in the woods. Number one. Number two, Jones had that job many times and knows everything that's going on. So by definition, it's not a job that keeps you behind, you know, away from the culture of what's going on. No, it's true. The secretaries actually know everything. I think that was yeah. Don's projection. Perhaps. Onto Still surprising how to me he that he sees would have her. That and, yeah, I mean, it yeah, was weird. It was, it was. It's a little childlike, little kid glove. Um, but but I think Megan, in her own way, is genuinely guileless. Doesn't mean yes. she, she's sharp. She's yeah, right. I think she's legitimately feeling all the things she's feeling. Yeah, right. Whether she should have anticipated some of those things, maybe maybe she should have. I mean, my thought is, what did you fucking expect, people? How did you think people were going to react mm-hmm. to you? You know, putting on that kind of a performance. Yeah. You know, put yourself out there. You got to be prepared. But she expected people to react to be Go able to have sex. To and that's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the irony of of that, too, which is everybody went home and had sex except Don and Megan. And Harry, evidently. No, I think Harry was saying he, he did, did, except Jennifer Roger. Roger. Prepared for it. Rod, yeah. Roger cut him <laughs> off. Like, I don't I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I like that. It's a good line. Um. So yeah, so this is the this is the circumstance around Don and Megan being home, you know, early in the afternoon on this on this day. Megan goes home and then Peggy goes to talk to Don and and apologizes for what she said and then that's how Don finds out that Megan has gone home. Yeah. And it really was a it was a turning point in the viewers in my experience of Don and Megan, the first sort of real turning point was him saying, you don't know her at all. And I was like, huh, there's something else happening here that isn't yeah. just, again, this this isn't their first fight. That's, <laughs> that's the first clue to, oh, they have a rhythm. They have something happening here and this is a marriage. Yeah. And there's a little bit of, I got a vibe, sort of like, <laughs> yes, she's my wife. Yes, we all work together, even though she's my wife. But you're not going to fully know her. Uh, we we she could we could have this situation for ten years. We're married. She's working on on your team. She's a copywriter. I'm the creative director, and you still won't know her. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a part of her that that you will never know because I know her better. Oh, totally. It's, no, that's exactly had, that's yeah. what he said. And it and it had this vibe. It recalled to me. It was weird the way someone pointed this out once. Who who was uh, Tom Cruise's? Well, I guess third wife after Nicole, the the uh, Katie Holmes. That Tom Cruise always in public calls his wife a nickname that no one ever calls her. Nicole Kidman was always Nick. Mm. Katie was always Kate. And only he would call them that. And someone's like, yeah, that's his way of like expressing his being proprietary possession over yeah. the woman. Now, is, 
was this said by someone who knows Tom Cruise really well? Probably not. <laughs> so there's a there's a few leaps of logic there that you know it's it's it, it's a little bit circumstantial that 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 theory, but. No, I think it's I I that's but that's the kind of theory can, I would subscribe to. It feels to. feels kind of true, right? I have a thing where I I always notice this in couples if somebody only refers to their significant other as my honey, my baby, my something and not their name. It's a little yeah, it's a bit much. Sure, but it's also you're talking about their role and not the you're not naming them. It's more important that they are your honey or your baby than yeah. that they are Right. You know, right. Jane. So when so when Don says you don't know her at all, I just got that Tom Cruise Nick vibe. <laughs> totally, totally pulling through the two things that may not belong together. But yeah, there was just a touch of that for me. I couldn't I can't help it. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I see. What you don't you're know saying. her at all. I, didn't, I know her. You don't know. But her. I think he's right. I mean, that's yeah. the that's that's well, where it, I didn't. It's the character. If it's the character in the moment. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it, it, and everything we see afterwards. Yeah, my un, this unproven theory about Tom Cruise uh, seems very relevant to the way Don is right. Yeah, so and I'm disagreeing. I I don't see it because I'm subscribing to the Tom Cruise thing. <laughs> right, but exactly. I'm not. I think this was. I'm I'm I'm, being, I'm trying to be fair to Tom. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, well, you and Tom have to work that out yourselves. Well, but yeah, I well, think- yeah. Well, when I talk to him later, we'll talk about it. I just think Don is correct. I think I don't think Don is. I mean, yeah, he's he's he is putting a little stamp on things and back off. There mm-hmm. is there is a bit of that, but it's also so true that correct. you know he's like I'm going home, and Peggy's like I think she should I think she, you should give her some space. And she wants to be alone. Whatever the line was, yeah, yeah, and or it'll blow over or something like that. Yeah. And that's when he says what he says, and he's yeah. right. He knows his yeah. wife. That's and right. this is, again, that's why that line to me was such a turning point for my view of their marriage, because whatever comes next, he does know his wife. And there, and so which, let's talk and about that, what comes and that's next. A whole, and that's a whole <laughs> yeah, marriage. So let's talk, let's talk about what comes next. He walks in, and we, we touched on this with Jennifer a little bit. And, and I, I still need help with it, because... Oh, I know you do. I'm here. The whole I the know whole you need help with bit, it. I saw your notes. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, and I heard I mean, your question to... Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 down with the fact that there's this role play between them. I'm not confused by that. I guess I'm confused by how this particular sequence plays out, because Don's either really good at role play, (laughs) meaning like like she looked like she was playing a role. She looked like she was playing this this domination type type wife in this scene, but. Don is responding the way Don would if he really didn't know what was going on. <laughs> so he's either really good at it or he's not he's catching he's catching up with her. I'm not sure which. I, I, I understand or that. Neither. I'm okay. here to help. Help me. Yeah. You want to know which part is role play and which part is not. And the answer is all and none. As mm. I said, she was really hurt by him from how he behaved at the party. She was really angry at him. Yeah. The next morning, she w- was so emotionally overwrought by how all of that went down and by what, you know, ha- what was happening in the office that she genuinely didn't feel well. We've established that. Yeah. Yeah. So you can talk about role play and games 
But these guys do not have that sorted out. That is not what's happening here. They are not playing a game. They are assuming positions at different moments. She certainly is a little bit crazy. I mean, that wasn't all a game for her. Like that whole thing with scrubbing the rug was partly to bait him and mm-hmm. partly to get some aggression out, which ultimately mm-hmm. is what happened. Ultimately, they get yeah. all the aggression out on mm-hmm. each other. So I just don't think the way you are trying to parse it is par- guess- is parsable. I, no, no, I, I, I can. I, that, that's a good explanation, and I, I can, I can deal with all of that. I guess the part that's still out there for me is, I'm genuinely feeling, you know, all this anxiety and lousy my husband and the way all this stuff went down. I really feel angry at Don, you know, and I'm so angry at Don, and I'm so upset, and I'm feeling so badly. I have to go home. That what I really need is to get laid. In this way, you know what I mean? Like now. And how else am I going to get him back? How else? See, what she's not doing is saying, honey, let's sit down and talk about this. Right? Right. This is what she's doing instead because she knows the end point. She knows how this ends. They both, he, it may take him a minute because this might be a bigger fight than they've had. Who knows? I guess the seamless transition between uh, a genuine feeling and a role play type of emotion was. I did not see the transition. Because it's not moment by moment, which is it? It mm-hmm. isn't, it starts as one thing and it becomes another. It's both. And at different points, they have awareness of that. And at different points, they don't. Don mm-hmm. doesn't always know. Like, it sure looks like she's playing a game and she's also really upset with me and she's totally trying to turn me on and she's totally turning me on. Yeah, by the time she takes the robe off, you know that well, it's not, she's that she's not like Waiting in the bedroom for him to come home in that robe, in that outfit. She didn't scrub before he came home. She's waiting. Yeah. She knows he's coming home. You don't know her. I do. He does. Yeah. No, he, he sure does. She's waiting for him. <laughs> okay. And he doesn't Listen, know. I don't, I don't have, I, I think all of that sounds perfectly plausible. He doesn't. I think it's a lot for a viewer to pick up on. Well, it's because, uh, I don't know. I, it's right there. It's just what you're looking at. He's, he doesn't know what he's walking into. He just knows she needs him okay. and she's angry and they're going to go through a thing and we don't know what the thing is. And then he starts to recognize it a little bit, maybe, because it looks like something else. And then it gets a little more obvious when she starts with the sticks her ass in the air. Well, stick her ass in the air, in the air, but also you can't have this. You're an old, you're an old person. Correct. That sure sounded both cruel and, um, familiar in their world. It's also like Shiv and Tom in, uh, in succession. (laughs) Kind of, but they, but Shiv and Tom are not. Because the truth comes out when you do the role play. But Shiv and Tom are not madly in love. No, but the truth came out in the role play. That 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 right, was right, right. That, that's the line that I'm drawing. Um, look, it's fascinating. I don't think it's like crazy unrealistic or or any of that. I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't play. I'm personally trying to keep up with it because it seemed like if they've done this before, then he would have picked up on it sooner. 
That, that, that's my expectation. It's not that this is so aberrant or that this isn't realistic or this doesn't happen. It was the minute he walks in and sees her acting the least bit role play-ish, then he, th- that he would have recognized it then because, th- because this is the relationship that they have. But she's. And that's what I'm not picking up on. Right. Is that he's still confused halfway through. Well, it's not that he's confused. They are genuinely having this fight. She's genuinely upset with him. He's genuinely. He knows. Part of what he knows is. Look, here's what he knows. He knows I have to go home and and bring her down. Yeah. I have to go and and tether her. To reality again. She is upset. She is unwell. She is off right. the handle. Which and for she's most furious at me. Is walking in and she's she's napping because she's exhausted and and over over it. And I need to be there when she wakes up so that she knows and have dinner ready, you know, whatever it is to soothe soothe my partner in this moment. All all normal stuff. So this is the the one tenth of one percent that's that has this extreme type of relationship or whatever it is that soothing and bringing her down and centering her means something totally different. Well, I would challenge your 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 statistics. My percentage is right. I'm being, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that for effect, but but the anger, the dismay, the I don't know quite how I'm going to reach you and and get past this moment. But I know that I will, and it Mm -hmm. will get there. And it isn't just a game, and it isn't good until she says yes. Okay. Because she's saying, go sit over there. And that's where he's like, no, no, no. She's had enough of trying to dominate me. She's had enough. It's too much for her. She needs Mm -hmm. this now. Yeah. But she didn't, she wasn't ready for it until she she was. She wanted it the night before. Yeah. Right. But she wasn't ready for this now until she was. You know, they vibed it out. Listen, I think if it was just what you're thinking of as role play, that's easy to see and that's easy to define. But that's not what happened. She really was scrubbing the rug and she really was doing it in in a sexual way. And that's bizarre. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she wasn't like, all right, honey, I forgive you. I'm going to put on this little outfit now so that we can make up. Mm-hmm. She was too hurt and angry. Yeah. This is how they had to do it because they're okay. weird. Whatever. Okay. This is what they're doing. Now, the conversation after I thought was fascinating. That's where we get into. Equally fascinating. No question. All the stuff about the office. I don't understand those people. That's where the thing about you were, you were a secretary. You didn't mm-hmm. see it, which I think is his naivete about her his perception of her naivete. And then the whole, I don't know if this is going to work, me going to work with you. I don't, you know, she's really thinking. You see her. She's really like, I don't know yeah. if this is a good idea. I go to, what does she say? I go to, you know, I love going to work with you because you love work. And I love what you love, basically. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't give a fuck about work, which has been obvious for the yeah. last episode. I want you there with me because... I want you all the time. I want you there with me. Yeah. yeah. I know. So these two are functional, dysfunctional, whatever you uh-huh. want. You know, we're going to see more. We're going to see it develop. But they're certainly in love with each other. I, I agree. I think they're being both 100% honest in that in that 
in that after conversation. Um, what he doesn't say to me what rang out, which was everything, but I like that you're developing. There's none of that. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not on the radar at no. all. But and There's but she also didn't say that, it. She also didn't say I give a fuck. Well, she about said I co- like being there because what was it? I like being there because it's what you love. Yeah. So yeah. neither of them care about her development right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I don't think those people like me. That's not true. Well, I'm not sure I like them. The reason I didn't want you to have that party is I didn't want them in our home. <laughs> White carpets? I thought that- White carpets? Well, it's a great it's a great symbol. No no woman I know would leave the the house looking like that all day. Leave the apartment looking like that all day. Oh. I know plenty of women who would and men who uh-huh. wouldn't, Dan. Just so you know. Um Okay, I don't know women who would. Well, he I know plenty of men who would. <laughs> I don't know any women who would. I uh I'm just saying the fact that she uh, got home in the afternoon after being at work, well, presumably all day. And sent home the girl and waited yeah. for Don. That's right. it. Oh, right. So for sent home the girl. Right. That's true. So I brought that's up true. the white carpets. And I, I think that's your symbol for everything so beautiful and pristine and right. and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and temporary. All right. And indulgent. Yeah. But Mrs. Price, Rebecca Price wants the the number of her the director, the decorator. The decorator and the and the realtor. So Well the it's funny, it's it's sort of like the apartment is sort of like Don and Betty were for the first three seasons, which is nobody acts like they're normal looking people. Everyone reacts to the fact that they're beautiful, beautiful people. Well, that apartment is a beautiful, beautiful right. apartment. So people respond to it in the way that they would, which is like, holy shit. Yeah. Believe this? Yeah, right. Really. It looked great. All right. I think uh, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back. Quotes. Quotes. Frère Jacques, Frère Jacques. <laughs> is that your quote? <laughs> Dormez-vous. It is not my quote. Dormez-vous. I do like Roger's little dance. <laughs> um, it's cute. No, I think the scene between Don and Roger is fun and interesting, and they're talking about the ad, but then it goes into we don't make fun of each other's wives. Well, what he says, and I brought I brought this up in our conversation with Jennifer, but I really did want to highlight it. Roger says, they're all great girls, at least until they want something. <laughs> and I just think, again, that's one of those lines that is going to theme out through the season. Mm. And it, it comes right back in the episode because about that white carpet, Megan uh-huh. says, I thought you wanted it. I just wanted you to have what you want. So... I, again, I think who wants what what do mm. women want or back to us, you, you know, what do well, women also want? Roger's worldview. Yeah. Is 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 this transactional right? And here he is giving the money to to Harry to get what he wants, right? <laughs> uh everyone's everyone's great till they want something. And he's clearly now visibly miserable with Jane. Correct. Yeah, that's that's out in the open now. 
He never spoke, you know, he never spoke that way about Mona. Correct. The only time he ever tried to say anything about Mona, even a little bit, Joan slapped him. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not exactly. doing that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I do love the the quote on the scene we just discussed. Um, my apartment is filthy. Just one of those lines that, like, are we still talking about the... <laughs> We still talking about the apartment? It's it's laden, laden and loaded with uh, all kinds of other meanings. But it's we got we got that in there, which is great. Oh, it's just a wild sequence. <laughs> yeah, right. It really was worthy worthy of Mad Men. That's a good one for sure. All right, so next Ugh, week, part one and part two. Yeah, what is next week? Tea leaves. Oh, I'll, re- I'll reserve my thoughts. The next few episodes are Tea Leaves, Mystery Date, Signal 30, Far Away Places. I mean, these are some of the – Signal 30, I know, is is a fan favorite. And Well, Far Away Places is, 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 a, is a notable one, too. Yeah. yeah. We're in that season wind-up, right? So we're, we're sort of – we're slowly going up the roller – up the roller coaster. <laughs> You're on the ride with us, folks. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. And see we will see time. you next time. If you would like to support the show, as many of our listeners do, go to patreon.com slash theycoineditpod. You get many bonus episodes and other treats. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us at questions at theycoinedpod.com or on Twitter and Instagram at TCI Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lip. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.